See what I did there? <laughs> okay. Wow. So we were talking. Yeah. Horrible. We can, we can edit that out. Now I know what my biggest failure is. <laughs> coming on this <laughs> coming podcast. On this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Preston M. Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm Preston M. Smith, at PMS Artwork Everywhere on Internet Land and Socials. I want to thank you for landing on this podcast. Whether you're a professional artist, just getting started in the art world, a collector of art, or just consider yourself a creative person, this podcast has something for you. I like to think of it as a fun way to rant and talk to other creative people about living the life of an artist, surviving and getting ahead in the art world, and enjoying your life. But most importantly, not waiting until you're dead to make it happen. All right, let's get started. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <clears throat> the lights are on, and everything looks good, right? Oh. Well, she's recording. I Fuck you. <laughs> All right. So, uh, tell me, uh, tell me about your drive up today. Four or five, man. Yeah, the thing is gnarly. <laughs> I try to stay in Hermosa Beach as long as I can, and and uh, you think that a Saturday morning at ten thirty is a good time to get on the four or five, and it was the nightmare. There's never but a I'm good here. time to get on the four or five. That was the first thing I heard when I was an actor when I came down to town. I was doing a bunch of extra work, and they were like. You know why they call the 405, right? Because it takes you four or five hours to get off it. <laughs> you wanna... It's about right. Here, let's, yeah, let's make sure we got that. Actually, keep that because I, I might put a little... You can, you can do whatever we want. Fine. You're live with PMS Radio. Yeah, the Tarzana, <laughs> California. Welcome back. <laughs> we are live. So first of all, um, Merry Christmas. I was noticing that. <laughs> Okay, for, for those of you who are listening, it is late February. It's <clears throat> the last day of February on a leap year, and we have our Christmas tree up. So, good times. Merry good Christmas, times. everybody. <laughs> wow, we started a couple more months, and, and you may as well just going. leave it up. Yeah, we're, I think we're, it's going to be a year round tree, I think. So, what do you think? Nice. It's nice. It's, it it's explains fake. so much about you. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I just feel more comfortable with the lights, with the twinkling lights, Mike. Right. Thanks for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for braving the traffic all the way up to Tarzana. Thanks for having me. Now you know what I feel like in reverse coming down to show. That's how I was soothing myself the whole way. I was like, God, Preston does this so much more often than I have. Yeah. Well, you've got a great community down there. And why would you you leave if you don't have to? They call it the bubble for a reason. They call it the bubble. So Mike Collins is a, he's an artist. He's also the owner of Shockbox Gallery in Hermosa Beach. He's a man of many hats. He also has his own practice. He's uh, he's just an all-around crazy guy. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, your 
your origin story. The My superhero origin story? The superhero origin story of Mike Collins. Oh. Like, how did you get into the art world? How did I get into the art world? What gave you the audacity? The audacity. Uh, it's funny. I, everything that I've ever gotten into uh, where I feel a passion and a drive to, to like, you know, like a calling to, to seriously get into it, um, I, I always come in from an, uh, I'm an outsider. So there's always this outsider perspective. And before even starting something like an art gallery or getting into the art world, like if I go back to being in high school and skateboarding, right? Like my friends and I started skating and there were these like older guys that had a, had a ramp, but maybe they wouldn't let us skate except, you know, certain hours or only on a certain day. Oh, wow. Kind of like the typical tribal thing. So right. we just built like, a big. Like surfing, like yeah, point break. exactly. Yeah. So we just built a bigger ramp. Oh. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if you aren't going to let me be part of your scene, I'll create my own scene. Ah, there right? you go. And I think with with art, uh, it was actually a little bit later in life. Like I was already a psychologist. And had you asked me, say, in 1998 or 1999, Mike, are you are you an artist? Are you creative? I would have said, no, I'm not. I'm not creative. Um, turns out that wasn't true. Right. right. It was just something that had been dormant with me. Right. So there were, uh, I was a psychologist sitting in my office, Hermosa Beach. Uh, I've got this office that has a really nice uh view of the South Bay and, and a nice ocean view. And it was, I've seen it via Skype. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Don't tell people about our Skype. Relationship. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so edit, edit this out. So, uh, it was February of 2006 and Southern California was on fire. There was a fire in Malibu. There was a fire in Palos Verdes. There was a fire in Anaheim. Unlike today. Unlike today, not hot. I mean, there were literally wildfires. Just the wildfires. Just several wildfires. Right. And um, those create the best sunsets you can imagine. That's true. And there was this particular sunset during a psychotherapy session that just absolutely stopped the world. Turned my office orange. The client that I was sitting with, we both just started talking about the sunset. And we went out on the deck of my office, and everybody that had a roof deck in the South Bay was standing there. Like, it was really mesmerizing. Wow, And it uh, every sunset for about a week, it just kept happening. And there was this point where I started feeling like I should paint it. And I, I kind of laughed at the thought because I wasn't a painter. Right. But it kept coming week after or session after session, you know, like night after night. Until finally one night I had this thought like, gosh, you know, I'm telling all these people that they should follow their instincts, you know, or do something different or be bold. And so I'm going to paint. And I bought some canvas from Aaron Brothers, you know, like a kit, right? It came with yeah. like three eight by ten <laughs> canvases and like nine colors most, of most paint. Most people who buy those don't get through that that kit. That kit, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I proceeded to paint three of the worst freaking sunset paintings you've ever seen in your life. Yes, like they were bad. Awesome. And uh, I'm friends with a guy named Rob Havasey, who's a really successful surf artist. And I called Rob. This was before camera phones, right? So I couldn't yeah. like send him a picture of that easily. And I called Rob and I was like, dude, I'm trying to paint those sunsets and like, do you have any tips? And he said, well, paint, don't paint what you saw, paint what you felt. Ah, yes. And uh, had this piece of cardboard, a little bit of wet paint left over from my, my you know, last failed experiment. And I just busted out this different, you know, almost like a Van Gogh looking crooked, blurry sunset experience. And man, I signed it. And stuck it on the wall. Nice. Because like, there it is. Like, that's what I was trying to do. That's it. And, um, and now done. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, 
everything I painted after that. Like there was just this desire to put it on the wall. Like I just had to put it on the wall. So first it was my house. And then uh, there was this local benefit for the mm-hmm. Surfrider Foundation. And they were having an art show. And I, I just called the lady that was putting it on. I didn't know who she was, but I was like, hey, I see that you're having this surf art show and I'm a surfer and I'm an artist. So I'm a surf artist, you know, like my buddy, Rob Havasey and let me in the show. And, uh, she said, well, you can't be in the art show, but we have a silent auction. You could, you, <laughs> you, can't, you, like, <laughs> you can't be in the art show. Yeah. So she, she let me put my piece in the silent auction and, nice. and, and, uh, this is I, great. I yeah. Love this. Yeah. And I put it in, it was, it was, it was this like matte finished, like student level, bad acrylic painting of a wave. Mm-hmm. And I just like come in there like I'm the man going to be in this art show. And then the stuff that was really in the art show was like high caliber stuff. Right. And I was walking around asking the dumbest questions ever, like to this one guy's painting. I'm like, she's like, how did it get so shiny? Like, did you put like a finish on it or whatever? And the guy's like, no. He's like, get away from me, kid. You bothered me. He goes, I use golden (laughs) acrylics. Like, maybe you should try that. So I'm like, there you go. I need that, you know? So just asking questions. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And I've I've always been that way. Yeah. Um, That's, that's amazing. I love the progression. It's what everybody should be doing. You you had the seed planted and then it kept coming up in your mind and then you acted on that and that led to something else and that led to something else. You started asking questions and pretty soon you're like, boom, you're doing it. Yeah. And I think that, I think the, the, the skill in it or not even a skill, just sort of what everybody I know that, that we run into in the art world or successful people in other disciplines, right? yeah. they just, they're, they're not afraid of no. And they're right. not afraid of looking bad and they're not afraid of failing or they're not afraid of, of whatever the hard work it's going to be to get there. You know, and the, and the reality is like, as I started saying, I, I would have told you I wasn't creative, but once it started happening and once I sort of got back into that scene, like if I go way back to junior high and high school and skateboarding, like I was definitely no stranger to a spray paint can, you yeah. know, and would help decorate the ramps or the skateboards or the community, you know, like I was expressing myself creatively. It just was, was maybe with a different medium. Nice. I think, I think that's what a lot of people do though. They put up roadblocks and they think that they're not creative, but if you look back over your life, everybody's creative as a kid, you're born creative. It's just like over time, it kind of gets beaten out of you a little bit. So that's cool. Um, What about shock box? What about shock box? So shock box is, um, it's a small art gallery that I own in Hermosa Beach, of which you're a key key person in our program and how we run things. Thank you, man. And the way Shockbox came about was sort of like the same thing, like building a scene, yeah. right? Um, maybe maybe four or five years before we opened Shockbox, uh, Hermosa Beach had this political moment, right, where there was an oil company that was going to try to drill a really large oil field in the middle of Hermosa Beach, actually right behind where Shockbox is, which is in our tiny little industrial area. Right. And uh, my friends and I are the people that that spearheaded the campaign to stop that oil company. Oh, wow. And there was this other thing that happened during the campaign, which obviously we stopped the oil company, but it became a community movement. You're like, the story would have been a lot different. Like, we, so it happened and we all moved. Yeah, it happened and we all moved and Shockbox was a lie. <laughs> uh, now, so it became this... this uh, we started this thing called Key Promosa Hermosa that became a, a a community movement and an organization where kind of the ultimate thing was this this vote where we voted to ban oil drilling mm-hmm. and the, and we and we were victorious in that eighty percent to twenty percent. Um, so coming out of it, we had this kind of like eighty percent of the community 
that was engaged and yeah. that wanted to to work for some different things and some better ideas and and to transform that exact area where they were going to drill for oil. Right. So you have that going on. And the campaign became really artistic and really creative. And there was a lot of people involved in it that were making signs or graffiti or stickers or slogans or hats and banners. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our fundraisers became art shows with silent auction. Oh, nice. Right? So I was keeping true to my silent auction artistic <laughs> beginnings. <laughs> there you um, go. But what came out of it, we did this, uh, some other people that were involved in the campaign put on an, like a oil protest art show about two months before the election. And uh, it was so well attended. You know, like the community was just like, we want things like this. So shortly after the um, the oil vote, but when I still had had the, you know, the ability to pull that lever of what the community, you know, where they would show up. I put together a small group art show in this big yoga studio in yes. Hermosa Beach. And uh, it was like, I think three or 400 people showed up, you know, like it was just packed and everybody was like, yeah, let's, let's keep doing this. Right. Um, so one thing led to another and the location where Shockbox is, I found out that I could make a play to rent that. Right. There were some people that were in there that weren't paying their bills and, and the landlord was eager to get them out. And I let the landlord know that I would pay my bills. And, uh, and you wouldn't, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep it as a meth lab. <laughs> and, uh, he, he offered it up. And so I called Laura Schuler, who's a friend of mine yeah. and said, Hey, Laura, and she lives right by there as well. And I said, Laura, I've, I found this place. Like, do you want to share a studio with me? Cause at the time I thought I had just found a, a lockout studio and, she came and checked it out. And when we started digging around and cleaning it up, it, it sort of revealed itself as a gallery so much more than it did as a studio. So we kind of thought, okay, it'll be our studio, but we'll also have art shows and, you know, we'll kind of do this thing. Um, but it exploded like the very first show that we did, it just was so well attended and sort of blew up so loud. And partially because you'd already built that community. Yeah, they were hungry for it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so it just, I mean, it immediately turned into a gallery. Nice. And her and I, like, we hadn't met you yet at that point, but... Right, we met at uh, LA at uh, Gallery 825. Oh, we didn't, I mean, no. not met, but we, we first We were both members the there conversation or yeah. Of, yeah. And uh, Laura and I, our mission for it very quickly was to not be like a local, just, you know, pier paintings and starfish paintings, like provincial <laughs> right. art gallery. But because of our involvement in Los Angeles Art Association and uh, with Brittany Davis, yeah, you know, she has a huge role in that. I think we met through that's Brittany. probably how we met. Yeah, because um, Brittany used to do a bunch of pop up shows yeah. all over LA. Yeah, she and then was she was a BG for a while. She was. Doing I mean, those, sorry, uh, at Bergamot. Sorry. Yeah, Brittany was doing those pop ups, and um, and I was a part of a couple of those, and then I was part of Los Angeles Art Association, as yeah. was Laura. And she and I said, look, if we're going to do this, like, like let's try to put Hermosa on the map as a legitimate art location right where people would come from the la art scene and come and and so that's that's where you got involved and that's what we've been doing ever since yeah i think i think the first time we talked to you uh, i was doing that show where we had were pounding penises into the into <laughs> with katie brideside and we had a we had a painting collaboration where i took a painting and she used to sew these felt penises and then we were just pounding them into the wall and having everybody get involved and then you, I think you guys came up to us during that show and talked to us, or maybe it was the show after that. But well, I'm gonna, I'm I gonna, just wanted I'm to talk about rewind it a little penises. bit, but yeah, <laughs> it really 
that's a thing that you could do with a lot of your paintings as I look at them is paint something and just let people glue penises to them. Exactly. They look so that's much better. That's kind of where I'm going. Into- <laughs> <laughs> oh, shots fired, everybody. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's true. Just, however, just paint them and then let people destroy them in one way or another. Preston, it was before that. Was it before that? I think so. You did a show at Bergamot. I think it was a four-person oh, show. that's it right. Betsy Inzenberger, you, Mark Yellen. And... Bridget. Yeah. I can't. Oh, man. Ezra, I think. I know I remember her last name, but yeah. yeah, Bridget. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah, that was a good show. So crazy. So I, I was either, either poked my head in that show or maybe I, I went to that show and I had already, I already knew Brittany. Yeah. And Shockbox was like becoming. Like, I don't know that we had had a show yet or maybe we had just had one. And Brittany had said, because I was asking her about you and, and Betsy. And then Brittany said, oh, yeah, you should meet these guys. They would be great. And you should also meet this woman, Amber Goldhammer. Like, she would be great. Yes. Because remember, Amber had, had a studio. studio. It was like right across the, the hall. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, 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 I left. real estate, by the way, for a studio. Yeah. That was. That was foot so traffic cool. walking by that place. Whew. So I, I walked out of Brittany's place and, and Amber happened to be unlocking her place as I was walking out. Nice. So I was like, oh, hi, I'm Mike. Like, Brittany said I should meet you. And she also told me about some woman named Davia King. And Davia happened to come walking up because Amber and Davia were having a meeting. Oh, wow. And, I, and that's when I, that, you know, Laura and I had had a few very small shows in Hermosa Beach. Yeah. And I said to Amber and Davia, you know, I have a gallery in Hermosa Beach. And if you guys ever want to do a show, like we could make that happen. And they were like, yeah, for sure. And so that's when we were like, oh, man. I like it. You're just peddling it. You know, I've got a gallery in China. Yeah, yeah. So they did a show. Uh, yeah, I remember that show. That was a great show. Yeah. They basically plastered all the walls inside, graffitied them, and then they mm-hmm. had actual paintings hung too. That was what, your third or fourth show? Maybe fifth? <sighs> Their show was in October, and um, our, the first show that we had at Shockbox was in April. Yeah. So the, the first show, uh, we, turned, we turned the gallery over before we really did anything. Like, we hadn't cleaned it up yet. And we turned it over to two local graffiti guys and just oh, said, do nice. whatever you want. So they were top yeah, to bottom. I think you, I think we talked after you'd done your, I think you were on your second show or something like that. Yeah. And I tried to submit a severed head nude painting. <laughs> I think it might've been a little too early on for that, but uh, we did that abstract badass show. I think that was my first show with you guys where it was the Ed Moses. Ed show. Moses, we're coming for we're you. We're coming for you. Oh yeah. yeah that, that was in yeah. September of the first year. That was a great show. Yeah. Ed was Ed, and I like how you're referencing other LA artists too. Oh, for sure. That was Laura and I. We um one of the one of the documentaries I love watching over and over to inspire me is the Cool School. You know, I don't think I've ever seen that. I know this interview is. Over I'm just gonna be on. <laughs> if I would have been nodding my head and be like, "Yeah, yeah," and then you were referencing it, and I had nothing. Yeah, there's so there's this really cool documentary called The Cool School. Okay, and it's the story of. Ferris Gallery, yeah, which was on La Cienega, and um, and and Ed Moses was one of the original guys there, you know, as was Ed Roche, right, as was uh, Baldessari, you mm-hmm. know, some of those guys, and um, isn't he on the cover of Artillery right now? He is on the cover of yeah. Artillery right now, of which we plugging have an advertisement, plugging for- Sarah Svetlana's solo show coming up at Shockbox Gallery. What's right. the date on that? March 7th, opening reception, 6 to 9. March 7th. Oh, okay. And uh, the show will run all month. I wonder if Sarah would do the podcast. A little promotion. <laughs> she will. Sarah, if you're listening, come on the podcast. 
She will. Okay, cool. I'm her representative. <laughs> You're like, I will make her. <laughs> um, so, so there, there was something about the Ferris gallery and that documentary that inspired what we did at Shockbox, And it's just the fact that there were these five or six guys with a gallery where for a couple of years, they didn't sell a damn thing. Right. But they were doing these like cutting edge, like just pu- pushing the envelope art shows. And they all had an opportunity to split to New York because that's where the abstract movement was. That's where the scene was. And they were like, no, like we're staying in LA, man. Yeah. We're going to do this thing. And um, they, they were the just like chest thumping, like just assholes towards one another. Right. Talk about audacity. Right. You know? Yeah. Like one guy would do a show and the other guy would be so pissed about it that he like, I forget which one it was, but like literally one of these guys like backed a motorcycle up into the doorway of an art show and like started burning rubber. Oh, wow. You know, to just like smoke out the show because he, nice. he was so upset. And I was like, God, like I wish we could have hung out with those guys. That probably right? worked to their advantage too. They're yeah. Like, oh man, you never know what's going to happen. Well, yeah. And with, with uh, the LA art scene be, being so accessible, like- how many times have you seen Ed Moses in person or shook his hand or went yeah. to a show, you know? Oh, I photobombed him many times. <laughs> and and uh, so when we did the show, there was this, like, the, on the one hand, it was it, it was just absolute nod of respect yeah. to Ed Moses, right? Definitely. Like, like, we see you, dude, and we're going to, like, we're going to keep this up. And then the other one was, I hope he finds out about this and shows up. Right. And either and either like appreciates it or just declares it the most ridiculous thing he's ever seen. But one way or another, it's like <laughs> Ed, like you know, it's like no press is bad press when Ed Moses is involved, right? But that that was the show that took us from from whatever we were doing and made us realize that we were going to be able to have a, a, an actual gallery that was going to pull high caliber high caliber artists in. It's been cool to see. This was back before you had the program. Mm-hmm. which the program is a select group of people who you're representing at the gallery. I'm lucky to be one of those. And some of those people are doing solo shows. Sarah's one of those members too. She's having a solo show coming up in March. Um, but it's been interesting before that to see the progression, even in the space, how the space has evolved, listening to you talk about how, where the space was, how it was originally a smaller space, broke down the walls, all the work you've done in there, opening it up, watching the storage kind of blossom. And now you've got the back room, Right. Like Shockbox, which is great. It's kind of like a green room for people at a show. If you're at a at a play, there'd be a green room where you can hang out. It's kind of like that, but you also have some of the program artists rotated in there and other artworks you like, couches. People can go back there and chill out a bit, um, take a little breather from the main space. Yeah. And it's just cool, man. It's become it's become a scene. It has become a scene. And that um you know, the and the program is such a huge part of that scene, right? Yes. Just, for anybody that's interested in, in becoming part of a gallery, right? Or becoming part of an art scene, like here's exactly what you do, right? You show up, like you show up and you see what the gallery is about. Yeah. And you submit for a group show and, and you, you hang out and you meet, you meet me and you meet Preston and you meet the people that are the regulars and you're probably going to be in the group show, yeah. right? And because as a as a gallery owner or as a person that's part of it, like the, say the Hermosa Beach art scene, you recognize who's showing up. You know, you recognize who's supporting, um, and that that's the foot in the door. And for the for the program, especially, you know, when we when I took that spot, when Laura and I took that spot, we we're putting we put our money and our blood and sweat and tears into that. You know, and, yeah, definitely. And, and sometimes you sell art and sometimes you don't, but you have this belief in it where 
you know, I'm willing to to shell out a certain amount of money every month just to have have a really cool fort, you know, a really cool treehouse. For sure. And so the way Shockbox has evolved, you know, from 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 day one when we rolled it up, that was us. Yeah. And then you get to the point where you have a couple people like, hey, I know how to I know how to fix a door jam, right? Or I know how to do this. Or when when Dennis Dugan did his solo show, right. he had this idea, like he's like, Have you ever thought about covering that open space up there? I was like, Well, yeah, I have, but that's phase five in the budget. And Dennis is like, I'll do it. You know, so he <laughs> so he covered it, right? Nice. So there's so there's this part where we're all we're all pitching in. And then when the back became available, that was a no-brainer. Yeah. And at the same time, the space next door became available. That's when my buddy Kevin Sousa took over and, you know, he's creating this music space where he's locking out and that's where they're rehearsing now. But And they're going to be recording in there as well, aren't they? They're going to be recording and then ideally they would be able to have live performances in there. That kind of leads to the back box, you know, and the program is that the when we decided to have the program, there were these group of artists, you, Sarah, Theodosia Marchant, Scott Meskel, Kim Swain, Laura Schuler, Laura Schuler, Dennis Dugan, that um, it was obvious to Laura and I at the time, those were the people that were our family yeah. in the gallery that were showing up all the time. And then the the style of art that we were doing all has a relationship. Yes. You know, and if you look at the first time we did like just a straight up program show, I I don't remember if we called it the usual suspects. I think it was the usual suspects. And uh, all Lauren and I did was send out an email to you guys and said, hey, show up. Like, yeah. Bring what you want. You're in this show. And we didn't curate it at all other than we knew who we were inviting into the show. Right. And when we hung it, you know, if you go from your abstract stuff to a, to a mescal sculpture to an abstract piece by Sarah to what Theodosia does or, or whatever I was up to at the time, you can see the relationship. Like there's a Definitely. level of of uh, quality, uh, sarcasm, right? Like uh, darkness or edginess, you know, like we all definitely have a vibe that we're riffing off of. Definitely. Also, I think, I think some of the people, this, this plays into what you were saying earlier too. It's also semi about paying your dues. I mean, there's a lot of people in you're saying as far as showing up, getting part of a community, also building a body of work or a certain aesthetic, all that comes into it. Those are the kind of, non-tangible things right. that if you're looking at a piece you wouldn't see, but all that works into that show and then and, and the group of program artists. But I think that's also important. I think for the people who are listening out there for younger artists coming up, there is a tendency nowadays to just want to like snap their fingers or push a button. And like I'm an artist, let's get out here and do that. And that's great. Um, but you also do need to go through some of the proper channels, which is first of all, build a body work, kind of develop your voice and then start getting it out there. I think there's a tendency nowadays to go Instagram comes first. Right. <laughs> I don't think right. that, I don't think that really works. Right. So, there's there's young artists too that I forgot to speak about in the program like Emerald, Emerald, Emerald Paget. Right. Well, she's 18 or something. She's 18 now, yeah. but she's a great example of that. The yeah. first time she showed at Shockbox. But she also has a body work. Yeah, but at the time she didn't. She that, not? Like that first that red painting that's up in Love Hurts right now. Oh fuck me. <laughs> no, I mean she did. She was working, yeah. but she wasn't showing. And the first time she did show, she had submitted, and her neighbor called me, who was a friend of mine, and said, "Hey, this this oh, young kid right. submitted, and if you could get her in the show." 
But so, she did have that kind of naturally had that kind of aesthetic, you know, she fit in sure. with that group. Um, for sure. And that also kind of brings us to the new stage or one of the new stages of Shockbox, which is uh, these competitions. Sure. Like I came to you with this idea of, of putting together some competitions, um, juried competitions where people from around the country, even internationally could submit, get their work seen and uh, get into a group show, maybe get some featured wall space win some cash prizes. And what have we done? Four, four or five of those? I think we've hung four of them. Yeah. And we've got and two we've calls got fifth, up right now. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth, yeah fifth's coming right now. It's going to be done during, I mean, it's going to be during in the next couple of days or so. And then we've got the not an art fair, which I'm excited about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that's been cool, man. It's been great to see people from like, we had somebody flying from Chicago, New York, from Texas, um, and some people uh, winning some prizes and getting their work out there. That's that's really that's cool to see that kind of balanced with the other shows that you're doing, the program artist shows, like Sarah's show coming up. Uh, it's kind of extending opportunities even further outside of not only Hermosa Beach and L.A., but out into the rest of the world. Right. The, it's been an absolute positive for the gallery. It's been an absolute positive for the people that come to the gallery. So if you have like the... You know, you have the usual 30 or 40 Hermosa locals that are going to show up to every opening, no matter what. And they've noticed that when we started doing, they didn't realize it was the cafe calls. Oh. But they, but when we started to put up those group shows, people started to talk about, hey, it seems like the bar just jumped up again. Like you yeah. guys have elevated the quality of art that are in the shows. Definitely. Um, I feel like that shift happened, started to happen last year around this time when we weren't sure if Shockbox was going to stick around, you know, there was the, the trouble with the gym up the street and just kind of, oh, man, kind, of some, about that. kind of some event stuff in the, you know, the city's working on some code changes, but okay, like let's do solo shows because this thing might be over. Yeah, that's true. And so Laura did a show that was the, the level of art that she put in that thing was next level for her. Yep. For sure. But she created a bunch specifically for that show. Every she? piece was yeah. brand new just yeah. for that show. And then I did the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I put up an art show that that was so raw and vulnerable and challenging for me that I felt like as an artist, I put myself in a different place. And then that was followed very quickly by your show. Yep. And then Scott Meskel's show. And what we noticed with the solo shows, you know, it was kind of building on Dennis Dugan's show the year before. Sure. Like we've had great shows in there. But and shout out to Dennis, he sold that show out. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's got a crowd. <laughs> um, they, uh, you know, that's when you came with the idea for these cafe art right. calls. And um, I think you and I both had some hesitation around that because obviously, if you're going to go on, on a website like Cafe, you're going to have to charge people a submission fee, which is something that we had never done. And we've guarded, you know, kind of closely against being a pay to play gallery. Like we've we've never let somebody rent the space to have a solo show or rent the space to put up their own art show. Well, that's a really important distinction between what actually pay to play is and what just a submission fee is. I mean, most galleries nowadays charge a submission fee just to run the administrative side of it. Also for, for us, we're giving cash prizes out to people. But like I know, I get I get approached by galleries all the time. I, I've had one in France recently who's trying to get me, and it's like it's only we're going to give you a great discount. It's like two thousand dollars a month, yeah, to be a part of this. But but we've got this great list of contacts. That's a pay to play gallery. 
I agree. And I, I know for us, you know, with, with the way that we put up a cafe show, if you get in that show, first of all, we are going to jury that thing and curate that thing so tightly that you're in a high quality art show. Exactly. And we're not, we're not cramming these things in salon style, which is, which is another model, right? Definitely. You pay to, pay to be in the show instead of pay to submit. And so that's really easy. Then we're just going to put 150 pieces from, from your toes to your six feet above your head in the show. No. Right. And, And so I'm proud of the quality of the show. The fact that, just about the same time we were invited to be a part of artsy and that we're able to put those shows online. Oh yeah. You know, and, and, and put those artists that are in those shows. That's online. big. Cause that's very exclusive. You can only get, if you, if you're not familiar with artsy, artsy is a platform online and it's kind of like an online marketplace. It's one of the first, but it's only, you can only get on there through a gallery, through a right. legit gallery. And Mike recently became part of that. What early on in the year? Early on in the year, when when we first 2019. opened, yeah, 2019, when we first opened the gallery, Laura and I contacted Artsy and said, "Hey, we want to be on Artsy," and they replied, "No, show us what you got first. <laughs> come back in a year." Yeah, you know, they Which literally, yeah, they were yeah. literally like, "Come back when you've been a gallery." So they're curating galleries too. Yeah, yeah. And then the next time we approached them to be a part of Artsy, we it just wasn't in our budget. Yeah, because you have to pay to be on Artsy, and uh, we're like, "Yeah, we can't afford that yet." Then they came back to us about a year after that and said, hey, we're going to start focusing on emerging galleries in Los Angeles, and we've got a platform that might work for you. And when they presented their case, it was something that seemed like at the time and with Cafe coming along for us that it was going to be in the budget. Yeah. And so that's how we got on Arts. Well, and that also is a huge plus for anybody who's submitting these competitions too, because you're putting those shows directly on artsy too. So not only do you have a chance to get in front of a live audience at Shockbox in LA, potentially sell your work, but you can also do that online through artsy. Yeah. And that's reaching, I mean, that's reaching an international audience. For sure. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, speaking of solo shows, I, I just wanted to plug you real quick. Oh, you got a solo you. show. Come Well, first of all, Mike's first show was called the funeral party, it which was. was amazing. I think you're going to be using at least a selection of those pieces in your next show, right? But, I am. Um, tell everybody about it, where it's, where it's, uh, it's going to be, which gallery it's going to be, and what the dates are. Right. So I'll, let me rewind just a little bit on that. The, the, well, the solo show is going to be at a place called Gallery 825, which is the physical space of the Los Angeles Art Association. And if you're an artist, I guess you could be a part By the of- way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but if you're, if you're a young artist in LA trying to get into a scene a little bit, Check out Los Angeles Art Association. They give you some good opportunities to kind of network and just get your feet wet. And also for not only emerging artists, but people like you, for example, and a lot of people who are established, uh, give them uh, an outlet to be able to show, showcase their work in, in gallery shows and solo shows. It is a great place. It's to hard network. to get a solo show there, by the way. I know. I've tried. <laughs> I'm no longer part of LAA, but you, you what, how long have you been there? I think this is my fourth or fifth year. And when I when I became a part of LA Art Association, it's like like you said, everybody wants a solo show there. Yeah. And you Everybody you thinks know, they're ready too. Yeah, everybody thinks they're ready and you submit and then they then they tell you no. So you think you're gonna quit, you know, but you re <laughs> you re up for another year. Yep. And they have really great group shows. I, they do. I, was, I had a great experience the first And people come out. People come out. Yeah. When I first, the first time I applied to a group show there, right after they accepted me as a member, I got rejected. And you know, in your mind, you're like, ah, screw them. They don't know what's going on. But then if you go to the show, you understand exactly why you weren't in the show. 
And it's not necessarily that you got rejected. It's just that whoever was curating that show had a vision and their vision is going to play out on those walls, which is, I think, a powerful thing to do as an artist, especially a young artist. Like for us with our cafe calls, um, if you see who the jurors are, and those calls have links to those jurors' websites or those jurors' do Instagram. Do some research on the jurors. Do some research. Like, check out how they paint, you know, or yeah. what it is that they're into. Because yep. that'll give you a good clue about what may or may not make it into the final cut of a show. Well, not only that, but another little parallel with with those curated shows and and the cafe ones that we're doing. I've had the opportunity to be a juror on a few of these. And I know some of the other program artists have and, and some other people um, not in the program. It's really interesting to get that perspective because you're so used to as an artist just submitting to these things and then you get rejected. It gives you a different perspective. Like you're saying, oh, there's a lot of strong work that doesn't make it into the shows. Just because, first of all, you've got a number of jurors who all have a different perspective um, or a different aesthetic that they're judging based on. But also, sometimes it's just not right for the show. And it doesn't mean that your work is not good. And a lot of times there have been artists who've submitted who haven't gotten in, who've gotten into another show where their art was good for. So Rather than taking every rejection personally, you just have to, it gives you a different perspective to go, oh, maybe I just wasn't right for this show. Exactly. Yeah. Back to my show. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Well, it's funny. This is is the Mike interview. (laughs) After you were, when you started talking about that, I just realized that one of the things I'm so passionate about now that I do have a gallery is promoting the gallery and promoting other artists and and curating art shows. So, so there's these two lanes now, right? Where my part of my creative desires are just being filled hanging hanging another person's art show and that's or, that's or being interesting in that jury process but but do you feel show, like your art has suffered or or grown because both, of that both, both. so yeah. when we when we first opened the gallery the second show we did Lauren and I did a show together and we challenged one another to only do works that were different than anything we'd ever done nice which has been something we kind of ask all of you guys to do yeah. right at, yeah. at, at the gallery and so we did a show. Get outside your comfort zone a bit. Yeah, we did a show and it was cool. Um, but then we started putting out all these group shows. And sometimes I would have a piece that would work in a group show. Sometimes I would sit out. Sometimes I would make something specific for the show. But what I realized when I went back and started thinking like, okay, I'm going to start painting for me again, was I was a mess. Because I had your work in my head. I had, I had Scott's work in my head. I had Dugan's work. I had Sarah Svetlana's work and I was trying to paint like all of you guys, you know, like I had just, I had, I had lost the practice cause I was not painting right. daily. And uh, so then the work that led to the funeral party was something that I had never really shown people. It was, it was related to my own addiction and recovery and yes. sobriety. And every, I've been sober now for, for almost 24 years. Congratulations, and man. That's th- awesome. Thank you. And maybe like 10 years ago, I started making these draw. First they were drawings and then they were paintings that were related to sort of what sobriety was like for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm so far past the part of sobriety where you, where alcohol is going to be a problem for me. Right. You know, like I'm not trying not to drink anymore. Yeah, exactly. But I'm very much an addict and an alcoholic. You're not, you're, just, you're not having the, the drunk dream anymore. No, no, none of that. But 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 I am uh, what I do understand as as somebody who's who's been sober for quite some time and and also a psychologist is that a lot of the personality traits and a lot of the sort of obsessiveness and and uh, just like the grind and the drive that goes into becoming an alcoholic. If you remove the substance and you put that 
towards something that's a little more positive. Yes. Like, you know, I need that addiction because without it, I don't know what I would be up to. Well, I've said this a little before and we'll get back to this, but um, I, I've also quit drinking about five, six years ago now. Right. And it's kind of like a superpower, man. Yeah. I, I always say this a lot, you know, cause we're so bombarded by the idea of drinking being so ingrained in our society. But when you just get that out of the equation, right. You can, you have so much energy at your disposal <laughs> to focus on other right. aspects. So. Well, right. And I think the energy was there before, right. But right. you, but you'd either numbed it or yes. it was just in pursuit of finding the perfect cocktail, right. right? Or, right. or avoiding the, the perfect feeling or the worst feeling. Definitely. So, so I had, I had these drawings and paintings that were really kind of personal and vulnerable to me with this, uh, a lot of them had a girl in a pink dress and a, like a canary and a cage. And uh, it, it kind of dates back to when Amber and Davia were doing their show. Uh, we were going to do an addiction show right after that. And I had a really big piece on a drop cloth that I was going into the gallery and working on on the floor, like when we weren't open for Amber and Davia's show. And it was going to be in the addiction show. And when, when the two of them came in to load out their show, Amber had said, like, what's up with this thing on the floor? And I said, oh, it's just I'm going to nail it in the corner for the addiction show. Like, I was not taking it seriously at all. And she, yeah. she had challenged me. She was like, why don't you stretch that and put it on the wall and take that seriously? Like, so I did. And she was absolutely right. Like, as soon as you see it stretched and on the wall, it's just this used drop cloth. and takes it on a different meaning. It does. And I put that in the addiction show and then I filed it away. And that's what that's what turned into part of the impetus for the funeral party. It was just so that was kind of marinating this whole time. In in the meantime, between that point and your, your yeah, and like a year and a half later, yeah. And and when I and so then when I started to kind of venture into the idea of doing a solo show, I had a couple of different paths I could have gone down. But that's where for me, having watched all of those group shows and all those solo shows that went before me. Uh, I was not interested in a show of like, hey, these are my 12 best paintings I've ever made. You know, I wanted right. to like do what I'd been asking all of you guys to do, which was take a humongous risk and and shock people, right? Try to do something different. And it was also a very cohesive show. I mean, it, you could tell it had a voice. Right. Like that was, I've always liked your work a lot, but it was when I first came to that show on opening night, I was like, damn. Like this is really cohesive. Like this tells a story. Thank you. It paints a picture, and it almost felt like you had really just maybe you, you discovered your voice here and there. But this was like this nailed it down. Oh, that was it. Yeah, that was yeah. it for sure. And and the it's difference. A show. Yeah, the difference between standing next to, you know, a, a one one painting in a group show or certain paintings. You know, like the difference between that and standing in the middle of that show when the roll up came up. Like it was, it was interesting. I, I, I mean, I spent most of the night when I get nervous, I stand on my ankles, you know, like I twist my feet like a little kid, you <laughs> yeah. know, put my hands in my sleeves and uh, I could just feel myself just like recoiling like that, you oh, know? Man. And it was because I, a lot of a friend of mine, Brent Broza, who's shown at the gallery. Yeah. He's great. He, can we cuss on your show? Oh, I already have been. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so he comes into the show. My ears just might bleed a little bit. And was literally like, he's just like, what the fuck, dude? Like <laughs> he was expecting a bunch of abstract paintings. Yeah, right. You know, right. I kind of kept it all on the down low 
for people. And uh, so anyways, that's awesome. Yeah. That was fun. What an unveiling. That was fun. That's so uh, cool. No. And that's what it felt like to me. I mean, I, I'm in that gallery all the time, but when I saw that, when Mags and I walked in, I was like, it, this wasn't a knock. It was just kind of like, holy shit, this is, this is better than I expected. And thank you. And that's not, and I already liked your work. So thank that's you. a, that's, that's definitely a compliment. Um, the, so the show coming up at LA art association is uh may may it's a it's, uh, may 2nd to okay. june 5th nice the opening receptions on may 2nd and that's on la cienega la cienega 825 Eight, 825 la cienega, la cienega. Yeah. hence the name gallery 825 which by the way i don't know if you know this did you know it's only a block away from the original ferris gallery no yeah so that's like where the whole thing oh, started shit. that's I, cool it's cool to be up there is there any sort of correlation did they plan to have that there because of that scene so that's think, been around for a while. Well, Ferris was in the 50s. Right. And I think Ferris was there starting the scene. Yes. You know, that's sort of now like designers. But I mean, were they trying there. to continue it? I don't think they've been there that as long. Okay. We'd have to find out. Because now a lot of the big galleries in La Cienega are in Culver City. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's moved south. It's on its way to Hermosa. Baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, its way. Yeah. There's some, uh, that, that southern part of, of La Cienega where uh, Graffades. Yep. is and they've oh, been a huge yeah. support of yeah. the of the gallery and uh down this corner you ever go to nova color yeah for sure so cool right uh, and i used to go like i used to live in culver city back in the day before we became valley folk and uh i used to go i would only exclusively only exclusively i would exclusively shop at graphics i yeah. love that place and the yeah. guy uh, what's what's the guy's name mike right mike mike yeah, yeah mike and mike. robert are both from hermosa yeah and they've been to a lot of the shows yeah, I, they both come to, I would say, every show or, all, you know, darn near every show. Yeah. And uh, they're really supportive of, of the artists that show yeah. at the gallery. They're, this podcast has been brought to you by Graphics. <laughs> Nova Color, are you listening? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so so the, the way that the show came up at, I'm trying really hard to talk about my solo show right now. Talk so about it. Talk uh, about it, man. Sorry if I keep derailing you. So every year. Oh. So anyway, what were we saying, Max? <laughs> You guys can't see this at home, but we're getting our picture taken hundreds, if not thousands of yeah, times. Yeah, we, we hired some podcast. paparazzi. Preston is a very good looking man. <laughs> no. Um, so every year. Not if Mags, Mags has anything to say about it. The members of LA Art Association submit to have a solo show the following year. Yes. And I was sitting in a pretty pretty good opportunity to submit this year. Because I had done the funeral party. Right. And I was able to photograph it in the gallery. Right. Like so still the percentage of getting in there was probably pretty low. Pretty so low. many people submit to that. So many people Quality do. Artists. And I think, yeah. And I think um, some of the solo shows there, if they have like an installation aspect to yeah. them, and if you, you know, if it's a little bit something different than just art on a wall, I think you might tilt the odds in your favor. I think that might have been what happened with mine. And, and, a and I think more they like conceptual the show. art. Yeah. yeah. Peter had had mentioned Peter Mays, the director of A Two Five, had had seen one of the pieces that I had. It was in out there last year, and Peter really liked that it was on used drop cloth. Like there was something about it that was so different. It's that, great, yeah. So, so I'm feeling really challenged right now because what they accepted was the funeral party, and they allow you to switch it up a little bit, but you got to stay true to that theme. And so for me, I've got this like, okay, I've done that show. I don't want to wear it out. Right. I don't want to wear my my people out that might come to that show. Um, but I and I'm also aware that the LA Art Association crowd, none of them have seen it. No, so it's, it's going to be a yeah. completely different audience. 
Yeah, Scott Meskel's hammering me to change it up some. So well, I, am, I was going to ask, are you going to add any pieces? I do. I have a few pieces, uh, two of which I don't know that you, that even you've seen. Oh, really? So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with. Don't show uh, me. I want to see him yeah, live. Okay. So you're coming. I'm coming. Nice. Um, the coffin will be there. It has to be. I think that's a huge part of why they accepted it. Yeah, for um, sure. Uh, in the last. Well, segment. I don't know about that, but it's gonna it's gonna be a, a nice piece. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I have some new stuff I'm working on. Cool. And so that's wait. that's in May, but but seriously, what I'm even more excited for right now than that is Sarah's show that's opening on March seventh. She's Shockbox. getting some uh, some press right now. She, she is, yeah, yeah. She's uh, we well we we put an ad in artillery. Yeah, she has an interview that'll come out in uh, Asymmetric magazine from from Leah Perino. Very who's cool. Been a great friend of the gallery yeah. and a great artist in her own right. Um, and we've and, had her um, during a couple of shows as well. Yeah, Sarah is is a uh, she's in the program, and what I really appreciate about her being in the program is she's she's kind of the the poster child of what we were trying to accomplish with Shockbox in the beginning. Yeah. Right, is that we're on Instagram putting out art calls, some new artist who had never shown in a gallery from another part of Los Angeles showed up to be in that addiction show and, and her work is just, I mean, so powerful. Yeah. Right. And she shows up in a way where she's going to participate. You, you sort of can't deny that she's there and the, what she's done to her work from a couple of years ago to now, right. It's just level after level of awesomeness. Yes. And to watch her, she get got re- on the fast track. She put herself on. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she did the work. I'm not taking that away from her. I'm saying when I was talking earlier about paying your dues, she basically paid her dues on steroids. Right. You know, she was yeah. just all of a sudden, she's all over the place. She's creating a bunch of work. She's getting a lot of shows. Didn't she have another <laughs> solo show? Uh, yeah. So she did. She's funny. Uh, she'll talk about it when she comes on, I'm sure. Yeah. But when she decided that she was going to paint, she quit everything else she was doing and she paints. She paints full time. She does. And she is not uh, afraid to approach galleries and yeah. she's got, she's got work in a gallery in Australia. She has work in a gallery in um, Israel. Nice. She's got work in art space warehouse, which yep. is a great place to have work and be great represented place. by. And then the best part of it all is she calls Shockbox home. You know, See? Uh, she did do a solo show uh, upstairs at tag gallery earlier. Uh, and then we started talking about doing it at Shockbox. And what I really appreciate about this show is Sarah has gone underground with work that uh, a lot of it's starting to pile up in the gallery right now. So I've seen it, nice. you know, um, but, but it's not on Instagram. It's not on a website. Like you're going to have to come to the show to see this stuff first run. And, and that's talking- great because so many people I think avoid shows now because, Oh, why do I need to go to a show and I can just see the new work on, on Instagram or right. on Facebook. That's right. cool that she's kind of keeping the mystery alive. Yeah. I, you know, that, I mean, I think artists have done that since the beginning of time, right? If you're working on a solo show, you try to keep it yeah. low key, but, uh, but there's a, but there's a lot of um, pressure nowadays to give teasers and taste of what you're doing. I'm glad she's doing that. I think there's, I think there's pressure to give teasers, but I think a lot of us have, have so much, uh, such a dependence on the like button, Oh my you God. know? And it's like, if you, if you, if you, don't. Make a mark on a page and send it out. It's like, do you guys like that? Should I keep going in that direction? You know, uh, I learned watching. Don't analyze me, Mike. 
<laughs> you do get a lot of likes. Uh, you know who Crayola is? Greg Simpkins. Yes, yes. He's, he's the best. And uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit. And I watched him via social media and in person get ready for a solo show a few years ago. And I knew he was working on it. And I know that he just went absolutely dark on anything new. Nice. Kept his social media presence alive. Hey, flashback Friday or you know what yeah. I mean? Like he kept his fans engaged. Yeah. But 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 knowing well, he was working on it. it, watching him keep it under wraps, and then walking into his solo show the night that it opened, you walk into this like, whoa, wow. I've never seen this. Right. Which was obviously something I, mean, I tried to do. How did he do this? <laughs> you could watch him do it and wonder how he did it. Right. Like yeah. he's a genius. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. But Sarah, Sarah gets an A plus on, on what she's hidden, you know? Well, when we were hanging the last show, I got the opportunity to go in the back and watch her starting one of her big pieces. Oh, the big. Yeah. yeah I've seen a little bit of the progression, but I'm, I'm excited for the show. It's going to be a great show. Yeah. I predict that that big one will, will still be wet when we <laughs> get it on the wall. Cause that's a, she's, she's coming down to work on that one tomorrow and she's, you know, she's still got some work to do, but it's going to be good. Nice. I want to shift gears a tiny bit and talk about, um, I don't know, this, this podcast is a little bit for, I mean, it's for everybody, all levels of, of artists and creative people, but for some of the younger artists out there or emerging artists, I was curious as to what maybe one of your biggest failures was and what you, you learned from that. Because I think so many people are afraid to do what Sarah's doing, which is just having no fear. I know when I, I had a year the, the year that I quit my job and went full-time as an artist, I was like, you know what? This is the year of no fear because this is my one life. What, what do I care if I get rejected another time? You know, So I just started going balls to the wall and getting my work out there to as many places, interviews, you know, grant programs as possible. And well, and you, you're, I don't know if your listeners know, but you're, you make a living as an artist. Yeah. I've been, well, for the last four years, I've been making a living. That's impressive. And uh, I, I waited tables for many years before that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I cut my teeth in the art world for sure. But, but yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to make that transition into, uh, to going full-time, but do you have anything that sticks out in your mind and doesn't even have to be necessarily as an artist. It could be as a gallery owner. Maybe it could even be as, um, with your practice, but, uh, what was something that you went for and failed at? And maybe you, you learned something from it. If you need a little time. I know that's no, such no. a great question. And I know that the worst thing for a podcast would be like, you know, four minutes of dead air. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to, and I want to answer it. I can sing a um, song. Yeah. Do we have a commercial break? Do you, do you, you know what? Let's take a pee break and we'll be back with Mike Collins. Right after this message from Graphics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome back to the Living Artist Podcast. This pee break has been brought to you by Golden Acrylics. See what I did there? (laughs) So we were talking, yeah, horrible. We can can edit that out. Now I know what my biggest failure is. (laughs) Coming on this podcast. podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so we were talking about failures and uh, biggest failures or failures in general, what you've learned from them. Yeah, you know, um, I don't feel like I've ever failed. And, And I know that I've done things that are regrettable or that I've had hard times, but if i if i just kind of take stock of where i'm at in my life everything that i've been through has led to this right right um if i if i make it specifically about shockbox and what we've done um 
we started so fast and we started in an area where it was kind of like the wild west. You could just do whatever you wanted, or it seemed like you could do whatever you wanted right. on the street that our gallery's right. on. You could for a while. Yeah. So we just opened up and started having art shows, yep. you know? And um there was there was a freight train coming that I was unaware was coming, right? But yeah. A, just across the street and down a bit from our art gallery was a was a gym that went out of business and uh, had some problems with some neighbors and ended up filing a lawsuit against the city on on their way out of business and we were named in the lawsuit for having opened without a business license. Yeah, they kind of threw you under the bus. That's me saying a, that, not you. Yeah, not having event permits and, and some things like that. All of which were true. We weren't getting event permits. Yeah. I didn't have a business license. I didn't get a permit for the neon sign that we have, but I, but I, but it was just sheer ignorance, you know, right. I'm just being an artist and this thing was happening organically and it, and it felt totally blessed by the community. And, uh, the night that it all came crashing down, we, Bob Dobb was having a solo show. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Bob's a Hermosa guy, but he's also like, he's a known yeah, lowbrow pop surrealist. Definitely. And, and there was, a crowd, you know, one of the largest crowds we had had in an art show and the whole thing got shut down. And, and, you know, if you look at what had happened, what we were building in the, in the, you know, in the year and a half leading up to that, but really the, if you think about the shows that had happened in the six months leading up to that, we had Dennis Dugan's solo show, right. And Dennis is a Hollywood guy and a great artist. And he, uh, I mean, big time director. Well, yeah, but William Turner was at our show. Yeah, you know, and and some other sort of notable yeah, you had Hollywood people, but big momentum. At yeah, that time. and then during Brent Bros's photography show, you know, Roger Gassman came and Crayola and Dabs Milan. So so suddenly we're like, damn, you know. Yeah, and that and Bob comes right after that, and we did the show with Patty Astor. Yep, from Fun Gallery fame, who lives in Hermosa and is a big. Actually, a big part of the gallery. You yeah, know? look and, her up. She's she was part of the New York scene with Basquiat, yeah. Keith Haring, Fab Five, Freddie. She's just part of it. You know, like she, yeah, she, she might have started. She might have started it. And yeah, exactly. uh, and, uh, and and so we just ha- and and all of that still exists. But 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 we hit a uh, it, what felt like was going to be a speed bump turned into a brick wall. Yeah, you know, I think it uh, that was that was the moment in time when Laura backed away, you know, and had to, Mm -hmm. had to go in a different direction, which I totally understand. And, uh, and, and we thought things were over and there's an example of like, we could be talking about that as a failure, you know, but that's when, uh, you just go, okay, I've got a black eye right now. And that's when you came closer into the fold. That's when Scott came closer into the fold, Leah, Perino, Sarah, like all the Theodosia, Kim, like all the program artists, just stepped up and said, Hey, we've got this thing. Let's save this thing. It was interesting too, how you were, you were kind of, you were talking to me per- privately about people stepping up and it almost seemed, it was interesting how it kind of like semi-organically happened. Yeah. It's like all those spaces just kind of got filled in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. You, go ahead. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that would be an example of, of, at least personally, the way I've viewed challenges is like, I just don't see them as, as failures. Like even if you look at my um, alcoholism and, and recovery, like there's, there was some dark, there's some dark history, you know, oh, yeah. with my relationship with that stuff. And the reality is, is I'm not a psychologist unless I'm an alcoholic, right? Probably not painting again, unless I'm an alcoholic and a psychologist, right? I'm Definitely. probably not going to sink my teeth into a fight against an oil company unless I sort of have that, 
tenacity and drive that comes from the same personality that could develop in the dependence on alcohol. So, you know, I'm the same way, man. It, uh, it's easy to look back on it and be like, Oh, well, okay. Now that mm-hmm. I have this objective perspective, looking back, hindsight's 2020, everything happened and made you who you were now. Yeah. Maybe in the moment I've always known you to be a very level headed guy. You almost have that. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Like that's nothing, my public nothing rattles my. Yeah. That's my, <laughs> I project that. Right. Yeah. You're doing it well. No, but, uh, maybe you just have that. You've developed that skill to be able to in the moment, know that this is not, this is not the end. This is not the final chapter. It's just going to lead to something else. Sure. Um, and really when you get in a fight like that, it's great publicity. It is, you know, if you're in that battle and, and, you know, to bring home the failure thing, uh, and make it a little bit like a refrigerator magnet or to sound somewhat like a therapist. You know? <laughs> um, the, the truth of the matter is, is that the, for me, the failures are when you miss an opportunity, you know, yes. like you have to go for it. I know you do. Uh, we were talking about Sarah. She mm-hmm. does, you know, like if you see, um, somebody that you want to meet, go shake their hand, you right. know, go like, go, Hey, I'm Preston. And, I want to be in your art show or I'm Preston and this is who I am. Right. And just, there's nobody that's beyond saying hi to or beyond trying to dance with. And And you don't know what seeds you're planting along the way. You might get rejected in the moment, but art is, is a long game. So it's going to come back around at some point. Maybe somebody you submit to, you weren't right for the moment, 10 years down the road, they're going to say, Hey, I remember this guy or this girl came in. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the LA art scene is so accessible. There was that article in the New York Times recently about artist-driven galleries and how yeah. they're kind of bucking the system. And there was something in it about the accessibility. And if you just look at like who we know now, based on being a couple guys that were in some of Brittany Davis's pop-ups, right? You know, and and then we meet each other, and um, like, you know, you even talk about having the involvement of LA Art Association. Like we, I was in a critique group there, and somebody in the critique group knew Andy Campagnon mm-hmm. and we invited her to critique our art show. That was the result of our critique group. And she came out and critiqued that nice. liked a peace of mind and said, Hey, do you want to put this in the Lancaster museum? It's like, yeah, See, that's it. And then you, and, and then when I'm in that show, uh, Jason Jin and Boleslav Rav are out there. Right. And they're yep. in the show and we know them from shock box. And then, you, you know, you kind of think about uh, Bill Turner Showing up at Shockbox, I had met him a year earlier. I was just in there, kind of starry-eyed, looking at an Ed Moses show at Bill's Gallery, which is one of my favorite galleries. Oh yeah, in the world. Yeah, and uh, he had overheard that I was trying to open up this little spot in Hermosa, and he's like, "Hey, come back here in my office and talk to me about that." And the guy gave me like an hour of his time. That's amazing. And just wanted to hear what the hell. I thought I was going to try to do, you know, and he's got this smile on his face the whole time. And he's like, God, that reminds me of, of me in Venice early. Like that guy, uh, my recollection of the story anyways, was the first spot that he had, he lived in and the landlord gave him a deal of, or bill kind of negotiated it. Like Like an origin story. Yeah. If you'll ride this with me. Right. And I'll show you my books. Yeah. When I do better, you do better. Yeah. And let's build this. And, uh, you know, he's anchoring Bergamont station. And what I, what I love about my experience of him is that he is so encouraging for Shockbox to grow. 
right? Yes. For, for young artists, for young gallerists, for people in the game. Like he has this. But you wouldn't think maybe. I, I think some people are would would resist, you know, right. helping other people. But Bill has that philosophy, like you and I were talking about. Yeah. Um, the more people that you help out on your way up, and the more people that you promote, you're going to promote yourself, and you're going to yeah. promote your thing in the process. I just had an episode yeah. where I talked about not being a jealous artist, yeah. and how it blocks you from everything. It blocks you not only from your own growth, but from a community of people that you're developing. Absolutely. Because all those people end up admiring you. You admire them. You end up being your own, your peers and your, your coworkers down the road. Uh, that's amazing, man. It's funny how much you've accomplished in such a small amount of time with Shockbox. But I wanted to talk about um, bringing this to maybe some of the younger artists or people who are submitting for the shows. What are some like best practices? Not necessarily, I mean, we're kind of coming off of the failures thing, not necessarily failures, but what are maybe what's like maybe a horror story of something not to do as an artist if you're submitting for a show like as a gallery owner <laughs> oh, having that perspective um they're so so if if you're going to submit to a gallery and that gallery has gone through the 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 process to create a submission process right mm-hmm. don't try to subvert the submission process. Right. So for example, right, you've, you, you're making these calls for us on cafe. Yeah. And that takes you a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. and we're paying to be on there. Yes. And the re and the reason why we're using it is number one, to reach artists, you know, from across the country. But then number two, we've got three to five jurors that are going to jury this show through that platform, through that platform. And the way the work shows up, it's ready to be juried. Yes. And, and there's this, just, if you if you have trouble with the platform, email us and we'll help you with the platform. Yeah. But don't spam our inbox with, hey, here's all my stuff. Select which one you want and let me be in the show. Like oh, you're yeah. not going to be in the show. I've had about three of those today. Right. You're not going to be in the show at Shockbox. Yeah. And you're probably not going to be in anybody's well, and, show. And, and, and sorry, but Shockbox <clears throat> is probably one of the most forgiving galleries out there we try to be pretty cool with the submission process totally we, uh, we respond to everybody yeah like we're encouraging but imagine if you're doing this to a gallery that has a reputation of not being so cool with artists you're pretty much blacklisted at that point yeah like they're not going to look at you yeah there's a there's a there's a way to 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 be new yeah and to approach a gallery obviously not knowing what you're doing sure. and and when that when i if i can sense that i'll put my arm around you really try to help you out um there's there's a Probably two or three times a month, I'll get contacted by an artist that says, hey, can I come by the gallery? I want to show you my stuff like I've never shown before. Like, will you give me some feedback? Absolutely. Like all, I, all day long, I'd love to do that. Um, so f- try to submit via the submission process. That being said, I think that every show that we've put up, we've been contacted by somebody that says, hey, um, you know, the 30 bucks is kind of prohibitive for me, but I'd like to be in your show is there any yeah. sort of stipend or, or scholarship or whatever right and uh like we had didn't we have one from iran or something iran yeah uh we we had uh, that uh, an artist uh that just showed in love hurts you know from yeah. long beach that this hit us up that way and you know there were like three people on social media that were flaming us yeah. putting our call on cafe right and i replied to one of them and said hey if this is a problem just send me a message like let's talk about it 
And that person- Don't troll me. That person didn't reply, but this other artist said, hey, I saw what you just wrote and I'm actually going to hit you up on it. Nice. And uh, she showed me some of her work and it was for the Intergalactic show. And the work that she showed me um, may or may not have been right for Intergalactic, but it was perfect for Love Hurts. Yeah. And I just said, hey, you want to be in the next one? And she showed up. And then it's like, she showed up with three or four friends. See. And that's the way you show up, right? There you go. And so the other part of like what advice would I give to a new artist is when you do show up, and let's face it, like most of us as artists might also have some anxiety or oh yeah, you know, like not be the most social of all people. <laughs> right. Come find somebody, right? Like come find me or come find somebody that looks like they're there all the time and yeah. introduce yourself. Like let us know you. Because the the reality of any show that we've done at Shockbox is that there's always somebody and usually three or four people in those shows that are in the first art show they've ever been in. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so, you know, I feel like we're a great place for an emerging artist. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And, and that's also another thing. Don't be so short-sighted just because you might feel like you don't like what's happening right in the moment or, or for a specific submission. Don't burn that bridge before it's even started. Right. You, know, you don't know what's going to ha- come of it in the future. Yeah. So another thing that I think about with somebody that's going to approach a gallery or maybe you're going to be in your first show or you're a new artist is um, the gallery is going to give you some information, like how they want you to present your work, Yeah. whether they want you to have it wired on the back or D-rings or, or how it shows up. And I appreciate it if somebody would take the time to think about that. Is it because if you, you know, you've got a piece that's going to be in my show. What you have to realize is there's 40 other people that are also going to bring a piece and to have it wired is, or have, have it presented the way the gallery's asked is huge because it, you, you're then presenting yourself as a professional. Exactly. Right. Um, Cause that I, could be one factor that deci- decides whether you're coming back. It could be. Yeah. And the other thing is, is if, if somebody new drops off a piece, I'll spin it around and look on the back and tell them like, Hey, Preston, let me, let me show you how, how I'd like for you to have this wired next time. Right. And that's a, that's a point where you and I are going to engage with each other. And as the person who's putting up the show, when I meet the artists, I'm already kind of sizing them up. Like, can I sell this person's work? Like, sure. how do I sell this person? How's this person going to be? Mm-hmm. And we've, every show, I tell every artist in the show, if you want to come back here during the week and hold the gallery open, if you want to have your friends and family come back, if you want to have a wine and cracker night or something like hit me up, you know, out of the probably 1500 people that have shown art at Shockbox, maybe three have hit me up for that. Oh, wow. And I offer it to just about anybody. Me included. You included, you know that, um, you did it. Um, so think about that and think about your, your, the way you present yourself. You know, like if you think of, uh, Theodosia Marchant, or you, or Scott, or Sarah, mm-hmm. or Kim, or the people that did become the program yeah. artists. As soon as as soon as you walk into the gallery, you you know you're there, and you have a you have a way that you present yourself yes. that's authentic, but you sell your work, and then I can sell you and your work. Yes, right? and that's by the way, and I just talked about this too. That's not something that necessarily comes naturally either. It's something that maybe something you have to work on as an artist. You might be antisocial. But sometimes you got to, by doing this over time, by forcing yourself to do it a little bit, you'll get better at it. It's like a muscle. I it mean, is. even as a kid, it is. when I was in class, I was like the most embarrassed child 
on the planet. Like I was like, if they called on me, I would turn beet red and right. just get freaked out. I got so angry with myself <laughs> for getting so, so anxious or anxiety ridden that I was like, I'm going to force myself to be the first person to raise my hand. So I would be the first person, no matter what it was, raise my hand, teacher were calling me and I like got it out of my system get it and over I was with. done. And then I was just calm the rest of the class. But that taught me to be able to do that and to develop that muscle, which you have to do that as an artist because you can't talk about your work at all. How are you supposed to sell it? Or how exactly. are you supposed to talk to a gallery owner about your work? Right. Yeah. Or, or, or talk to the gallery owner. Right. Because if you do have some kind type sure. of crippling anxiety or some, you know, if I know who you are and I can present whatever that authenticity is, I can help sell that. Definitely. But you'll get these, these artists that during drop-off, they'll walk in, set their piece down and walk out. And then you don't see them at the opening and they show up and pick it up and leave. And and sometimes that's a piece that I wanted to engage with in a different way, but but I haven't met you. Um, Wendy Lane, who just came uh, for, for Love Hurts. Yeah. She had that beautiful portrait. She flew in from Texas. She was there for the opening and reception both nights, and she showed up in a way to present herself. And she got know? first, first prize. She got first prize. Yep, you know? that's right. And um, she was she was talking up her work. Right. She was. I mean, she was great. That's how you're supposed to do it. I yeah. mean, that's not how you're supposed to do it. But like, there are other avenues, like you said. If you're developing that muscle, talk to the gallery owner. Say, yeah. Look, I'm a little shy. This is something about my piece that you can maybe promote. Yeah, I like to think about. Um, like I always go back to Emerald Paget, and I'll yeah. put, and I'll put Sarah in that category. If you if you think about the first time you met them, yeah, versus how they how they present themselves and how they feel at the at the gallery now. You know, they very both of them very much are at home at the gallery, and it's a cool well, they, and they've and they've no pun intended, but they've come out of their come out of the box a little bit, come out yeah. of their shell. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good. This segues a little bit. I know we've been talking about other artists. We've been talking about you and your kind of origin as an artist. What would you say that you've developed over the years? Like I have my own, what's like a secret weapon of yours? Uh, this could be something like your diet. It could be, I don't, I'm not an addict anymore. I don't, what's something that keeps you, you know, working at like tip top shape, keeps you creating, gives you the energy and the focus that you need to be able to do what you do. Most of the people, let's, let, let's rephrase it. A lot of the people that I know, a lot of the artists I know that are actually doing something coming up in our world, it's because they have a daily practice that they're doing. Right. It's something that, it's not something they just turn on from time to time. They've developed something that works for them. Is there anything that works for you that has kind of helped you throughout the process of not only being an artist, but a, a gallery owner? Sure. Uh, doubt me. Please doubt me. Doubt you? Please tell me that you think I can't do it. Oh, nice. Right. Give me something to fight. Right. Uh, for me, whether it, whether it was getting sober, whether yep. it was building that first skateboard ramp, uh, going back to grad school. Like I remember when I made the decision to go back to grad school and become a therapist, some of my colleagues, you know, in the w- waiting table industry or restaurant management, oh, yeah. you're like, we share that. why would you do that? You're going to get all this student loan debt. You can't do that. <laughs> like, you can't do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Watch the naysayers, the naysayers. So, you know, I don't like, I know you paint daily or I know, yeah. you know, Scott is in his studio daily or Sarah's in her studio daily. I'm, I'm a psychologist daily or yep. I'm a gallery owner daily. And there's a part of my brain that is happy when it's trying to figure something out, when it's trying to hack something. Mm-hmm. Right. So even the, even the explosion that happened on Cyprus with the gym naming us in that lawsuit 
thank you. Right. Because I don't know what I, you know, that I got needed. you fired that, that up, man. Fired me up, yeah. and we're we're going to be stronger and better for it. Speaking we're going to trans something, yeah. transform something for it, and that you know, if if we then talk about my art practice, um, you know, my mom used to say uh, she was a painter, and and uh, she used to say like she loved painting because it was always so peaceful. Like she always loved to paint when she was peaceful. I am in no way, shape, or form anywhere near feeling like painting if I'm feeling peaceful. Yeah. Like if I have peace, I hear you, feelings, man. I'm going to write them out, man. Um, I paint when I'm agitated. Like if, if you look, especially at like the funeral party stuff, right? Yeah. Like there's just this like, they're, they're just events, right? Like I want to crawl all over the canvas and make a mess and cross out lines and go back over them. And like there's, there's a, there's something that's definitely moving through me when I do that, but but my creative process involves irritation. Oh my God. For sure. Me too, man. I don't think, I think painting has saved my life. It's not because, oh, it just, cal- I mean, yeah, it calms me down about three hours into it when, I've, right. <laughs> when right. I've gotten all my demons out, but I probably wouldn't be here today if I if I didn't have that as an outlet. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah, for sure. We kind of talked about this a little bit, but um, what what's one thing that you tell Younger Mike, young Mike, coming up now. Um, Something you've learned in the process. I would tell younger Mike to stop worrying about what anybody thinks about him. I mean, that was, especially if I go back to those formative years of junior high and and high school and shortly thereafter, I was just so riddled with trying to fit in. Yeah. And and anybody from back then that's listening, they might be like, well, you did. You know, you did fit in. On the surface. On the surface. It didn't feel that way. And what the part of me that wasn't fitting in was the part of me that I didn't even know how to show to the world. Or I was, you know, I was afraid if I, you know, like if you make it about my art, right? Like had I whipped out the girl in the pink dress, (laughs) you know, when I was 17, like, I don't know how that, how well that would have flown, you know? And now being a psychologist and an artist and somebody who can put all of that out there, I would have been so much better off as a developing human had I had the balls to put that out there then, you know, and I talk about that a lot with clients is like, if you think about it, you know, when you're three years old, four years old, five years old, six years old, you're not self-conscious. No. Like if you feel like laughing, you laugh. If you feel like crying, you cry. Like you just go for it, you know? Yep. But there's a moment in every single one of our lives when we sell out. Yeah. Like we're the first person that we like, betray in that way and maybe something horrible happened that caused that or maybe it's as simple as like you know in fifth grade at the end of the year the coolest thing in the world was kiss you know and and over that break and heading back into school in september you finally get that kiss lunchbox and you're walking to school with your kiss lunchbox (laughs) and all your boys are like dude kiss is lame like we're all about motley Crue now right they wear you, makeup, bro. Yeah. And so you just like throw your kiss lunchbox in the bushes and be like, yeah, totally. It's lame. <laughs> yeah, right. And rather than saying and like, fuck you. part of you is crying. Yeah, yeah. Rather than saying like, fuck you, I still like kiss. Yeah. You know, and yep. like stand up for what you believe in. Because the reality is your your buddies would probably be like, okay, well, we think it's lame, but let's keep, you can still walk to school with us. You know, right. Stay right. in And uh, that's those, so hard is it, yeah. when you're developing. Mm-hmm. But it's also, we carry that through to adulthood too. For sure. We're still trying to fit in all the time. Luckily, I think you and I and a lot of artists, I rebelled against that. And I was like, oh, yeah, watch this. You know, and it, and I did use that to fuel my fire. But I think everybody has that side of them in there. 
And sometimes it's just with certain people has been beaten down. That's I, I'm drawn to that. Yeah. Right. There's examples of it. And a lot of times it comes from music more than anything else. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm wanting to get inspired, you know, I will watch interviews with Dave Grohl. For sure. I was just going to say Kirk Cobain. <laughs> uh, Kirk Cobain, yeah. but, but Dave Grohl or Jack White. Yeah. Oh um, man. They're, they're, those guys are so respectful of history. Yes. And they know where they're coming from. They know Jack White knows why he's doing what he's doing because he knows who did it. You know, like he can get it all back to Robert Johnson. Definitely. You know, and, and the level of, of uh, risk that those guys are willing to take the level of professionalism, you know, like when they finally do uh, they'll put it out at risk. Yeah. But like, if you look at Jack White, when he puts out the finished product, like that dude has turned over every rock, every stone, you know, he's so complete. Um, but I, I draw inspiration from their, their willingness to just to, to create, uh, musically, you know, like a guy like, uh, like just in, like, it seems like singing you used to sing, right? Yeah. I did. So, so I, I don't know that sing. I would ever publicly sing. Like, even when I was drunk as a skunk, I yeah. never even did karaoke <laughs> oh, one really? time. Like, it's so frightening to me. But when I see a singer like um, Connor Oberst or Lucinda Williams yeah. or uh, even, like, the stuff that I love to talk about, Sturgill Simpson, mm-hmm. right? Like, the stuff he's doing right now where he just turned country music on its head or its ear. Um, there's such a vulnerability in standing on the edge of a stage. It appears that there's a vulnerability right. in standing on the edge of a stage singing. Oh, there where is. Where you're like, oh my God. Like if those, if that person's willing to do that, and then the way I feel when I see that happen, that's what I try to do when I paint. Like when I did the funeral party, yeah. I wanted to somehow make an art show that conveyed to you that I was standing on the edge of a stage having a nervous breakdown and I didn't care if you saw that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, See, that's powerful. It's funny because you just made me think of something that I say to myself that might be a little bit of a fallacy or it's just an incomplete picture. But I always think when you're, when you're creating art, you should never think about where it's going or you should never think about the critics or the people who are going to see it. It should be all pure and and just an expression for yourself. Right. I think that is true. I agree. I think that's true, but I think I just saw a different level that I've never seen before. That little, the little fuck you aspect of it. Sure. Of like, sh- I'm, I'm going to show you. So maybe, maybe it's a subconscious thing, but in the back, in the background there, part of it is maybe I was stifled at five years old. I was stifled at six years old. Look what I'm doing now. <laughs> and look at my paintings specifically. Like they look like those of a fifth, <laughs> five or six year old. Uh, I, I learned it from, uh, I don't know if you were standing there when we had the conversation. I know Scott Meskel was there. Uh, when Dennis Dugan did his solo show. Yeah. It was so complete. It was so like tight and put together. But Dennis also, um, you know, he didn't necessarily need to sell those works that month to make his mortgage. And so he priced it in a way yeah. that didn't, the price didn't matter. Right. And he just wanted you to have the work, yeah. connect to the work, sure. not have the work. Those was the work he was going to show. And Scott priced his show that way. And he also made the work for his show in that fashion. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you buy this or if you don't buy this. Yeah. This is just what I have to say right now. And to have the luxury to do that, like, I'm just going to say this thing and I'll make, I'll make a living somehow. Right. Um, is awesome. 
Sure. Right. And then there's the other artists, like let's talk about everyone listening that maybe trying to sell art, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you are great. Or trying to pay their mortgage right. by selling like, their art. You're I I tell people to follow you. Like that it, those artists that are trying to break into just making a living as an artist, like you, the best model is one that you're doing right now. Like you make a lot of work. You have a daily presence yeah. on several art sales websites and social media. Yeah. You, uh, you make big, large, beautiful works that a collector would buy that has the kind of money to buy, you know, a right. five, five or $6,000 piece of art. Um, but you've got an entry point of like, 40 bucks or yeah. 80 bucks or the gateway bucks. drug, the gateway drug. And yeah. I watch it as a gallery owner now where you'll have somebody that comes like they, everybody that shows up at an art show probably wants to buy something. Yeah. And if we just price them all out, they're not going to buy anything, but if they can buy a piece of yours for 40 bucks or 80 bucks or a hundred bucks and meet you and put it on their wall and see you at the next art show, there's a there's a different feeling when you have original art on your house and you know the artist who made it. That's so true. Um, and then they're going to want another one. And it's the yeah, and it's the long game. Yeah, yeah. You're those. I don't know how many people that I've had collectors who bought a small piece, a little. I call, I have my micro paintings. Mm-hmm. They bought some of it for eighty bucks, and they have since bought three, four, five, six other pieces. Right. So you maybe you have a collector and a friend for life. Whereas if you automatically price those people out of the market. They might not ever look at you again. Mm-hmm. And also, I think there's I think there's a, a collector out there or a person, an art lover who hasn't bought anything yet. They feel a little bit intimidated when they go into a gallery, right? Like they feel like it's inaccessible, right? You know, there's like an elitism to right. it, and and when everything's priced at that level, there's no way in hell they're going to take that chance, right? So yeah, so it's important to have some accessible pieces. I think that that's one of the benefit, one of the powerful things about Shockbox, and and it even goes back to that New York Times article about these artists run. Galleries like yeah. sm- off the beaten path, smaller galleries. Uh, I got a piece of feedback. Like the co- a co-ops, right? Kind well, not of. even a collective. No, I mean, Shockbox is an artist-run gallery, right? Um, we've got some people in Hermosa that they've they've been to every show. And yeah. this one guy, he he came to one of the, one of the first shows, and he said, "Mike, I really appreciate the vibe at Shockbox because I've Definitely. been I'm intimidated when I go to a fancy art gallery or when I go to a museum. I don't know how to look at the art." I don't. I don't want to talk to the artists because they all seem so cool standing yeah. over there in the corner. I'm like, and really, they're scared. Shit. They're in the corner because they're having panic attacks, and you know, that's um, why I used to have to drink when I went to my shows. Yeah. They're wearing all black because they can't be bothered with a decision. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And and what he appreciates about Shockbox is that you guys are all there, and then it's like, and then it's like, hey man, this is Preston. Hey man, this is Scott. Like, meet this person. Yeah. And so he's at every show, and he's bought a couple pieces, and he he was actually in. Intergalactic, oh, you know. Yeah, so he went yeah. from an art patron to like he submitted some stuff and ah, and was in intergalactic. Awesome. So so that's what drew me to you, what you were doing too. Like I just I loved the vibe of Shockbox. Mm-hmm. It just felt like it, here's a gallery that's doing something different. Mm-hmm. It's like a gallery of the people by the people for the people for right. the artists. Well, right. And and man, I just saw so much potential uh, with with your gallery, and it's you've lived up to it. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think it has awesome. the. Uh, it's the right size, you know, and 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 we can afford to be there now. So so we can also then afford to play around. Like yeah. there's definitely like a lightness and a playfulness and a snarkiness definitely. to what we're doing, you know, yeah. <laughs> like with the show coming up called Not an Art Fair. I mean, there's obviously we would all love to kind of anchor an art fair and sell 50 pieces, you sure. know, at, at the highest price possible and 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 play that whole game. Like 
who wouldn't want to do that, you know, but the entry point for that's pretty difficult. It is. And, uh, so to, you know, to have a show called not an art fair is fun. Um, we've always played around with the idea of like, uh, it's not for sale anyways, yeah. you know, my, like, <laughs> a good name for an art show. But, uh, like. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I, I feel like, have we left anything out? Is there anything you, Oh, you know what? Well, first of all, obviously, how can people discover you or find you on online on the internets or, uh, uh and, and Shockbox? Yeah. Well, you can find Shockbox on the internets at shockboxproject.com. Find them the same way on Instagram, shockboxproject.com. And you can find me at Mike Collins art, nice. whether that's .com or .instagram or, or through Shockbox or through Shockbox. Awesome. Well, do you feel like we, uh, we left anything out? Is there anything you want to leave? A little morsel. I feel like we've had a very lengthy conversation. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll um, do a part two sometime. We'll do a part two sometime. Awesome, and, man. Uh, just like to say to anybody that's still listening, like if you're thinking about getting in the art game, like if you're a newer person looking uh, a place like Shockbox, and I'm sure a lot of communities have a place like that, like submit, send a, send a respectful email, you know, to the gallery manager, or the gallery owner and tell them who you are because, because most it's it's kind of like a college professor, yeah. right? Like we're doing this because we believe in something and we want to watch people grow. Right. And so hit us up. Definitely. Yeah. Take that step for sure. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks. All right. This has been the Living Artist Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I just want you to know that I appreciate you being here and I'm grateful to be in your ears. Your art and creative life on this planet is meaningful, so thank you for sharing it with me. If you like this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe and share it with your friends. You can also leave me a positive review to show your support. This helps me to reach more people with the algorithmic magic and keep the show going strong. If you want to see more of what I do and check out the art that I create, you can visit my website at www.pmsartwork.com or follow me on social media everywhere at PMS Artwork. That's it for now. See you back here next time.